If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be now for this week and the next two weeks. As we uh, turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come this day as Your needy people, needing to be fed the truth of Your Word. Oh, Father, we give you thanks that you have not left us alone, that you have given us your word and your spirit. We have both a map and a compass to make it home. Oh, Father, would you go before us now and open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts, that we would all know what we are to believe about you and what duty you ask of your children. And, Father, as we do our duty, may we do it with delight in the strength that Christ provides. For we pray in His name. Amen. Some of you may know this, but not all. But for five years before I was married to Michelle, I lived in a house with anywhere from five to seven other men at the same time. We lived life together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we quote on the back in one of the something to think about quotes for this week. Some of you may know that German pastor who resisted the Third Reich, who resisted the Nazis at the cost of his life. Well, he wrote probably his most well-known book, The Cost of Discipleship. But he also wrote another book, not so familiar, called Life Together, life together, and that really is the theme and subject of our text this morning as we look at this passage from Acts. Acts serves as that bridge between the four Gospels, between those four pictures of the life and ministry of Jesus to the letters to the churches that go out as the Gospel expands throughout the uh, Roman world in the first century. Acts is not an exhaustive record of what took place, but it's a selective record of all that Jesus continued to do and teach as Luke, the author of Acts, makes clear in the first verse of Acts. Acts, indeed, is volume two of Luke's twofold work. And the best title that I think captures what Acts is about is one of my uh, seminary professors, Richard Gaffin, says this, the best title is the Acts of the Exhausted Christ by the Holy Spirit in the church founded by Him through the Apostles. Acts for short. But it's a helpful reminder, isn't it? Christianity is grounded in the Acts of God in history. At its heart, as, at its core, Christianity is not what we do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. Volume 1 and Volume 2, Luke Acts, shows us the incarnation of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, the sending of His Spirit at Pentecost. And all of chapter 2 thus far talks about the event 
of Pentecost in Jerusalem. The explanation of what is taking place via Peter's sermon. And then in verses 37 through 41 of chapter 2, the effect of Peter's sermon. Now, every pastor wants his sermon to have an effect. I mean, the, the Word of God is living and active. It doesn't let things lay still. It has an effect. And what was the effect of this first sermon by, by uh, Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, who, who wanted to um, tell Jesus earlier what to do in his ministry? Well, what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon all of those, including Peter? He preached probably the the most famous sermon other than the the Sermon on the Mount that the world has ever known. And this sermon produced a conviction of sin, a confession of faith. And in so doing, they worked together to build a congregation of believers. They, that being the Word of God and the Spirit of God, build the church So among other things, Acts provides a history of the establishment and expansion of the early church. Now, did the church begin at Pentecost? It's a good question. In a word, no. Because God has been gathering and growing His people from long before. Beginning with Abraham, even before Abraham. But what happens at Pentecost was that God's people became the spirit body of Christ. It was the birth, as it were, of a new family defined no longer by natural birth, but rather by supernatural birth, by adoption. And Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 provide a summary account of the activities and attitudes of the Jerusalem church. And in Acts, we see drama, but we also see the mundaneness of daily life. It's a description of the church's life where the work of the Spirit is evident. Join with me as I read verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number Day by day, those who were being saved. In verse 42, we see right off the bat four activities, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. That is uh, the lead off to this summary fourfold description of the church as a learning, loving, worshiping, and witnessing community. Last week, we saw that the church is a learning community, a church with theological depth, a church that puts first things first. And really, learning has to be first because Christianity is a revealed faith. We didn't come up with it on on our own. It's not natural. Sin, as it were, is natural. The faith is 
not natural. It is supernatural. It comes to us. Today, we're going to see the church is a loving community, a church with close and intimate human relations. Indeed, we're going to look at this second evidence that Luke mentions of the Spirit's presence in the church, that being devotion to the fellowship. Last week, we saw that the church looks like what, children? What did last week we say the church looks like? It had students, teachers, and a curriculum. What does that sound like? School, right? The church looked like a school. And this week, we'll see that the church looks like a family. If it was a building, we're moving from the classroom to the family room. And our approach to our text this morning will involve asking and answering three questions. What are they doing? How are they doing it? And finally, why are they doing it? In other words, why are they devoting themselves to fellowship? First, what are they doing? We see this in the first part of verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They devoted continuously, steadfastly. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. You know who often wins the race? People that finish. People that don't give up. They don't quit. They are continuously devoted, loyal to. They give attention to. They associate closely with And last week I mentioned, and I'll mention it again this week, it's a sense of attachment like glue. They devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship. And it's more an attitude than an action. It starts in the heart, a changed heart. Here, following the day of Pentecost, we see devotion. People being devoted no longer to themselves, but to something, as it were, outside of themselves. It's a good time right now as we go just to ask yourself quietly, what am I devoted to? What am I stuck like glue to? Is it my hobby? Is it my work? Is it my reputation? Is it my gifts, my skill? What am I devoted to? What am I spending my time and my money on. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Notice it's the fellowship. It's not just devoted to fellowship like this idea, this concept, this abstract thing out there. No, they were devoted to the fellowship, not something invisible, but rather something visible. Here, all of us amateur Greek scholars like myself, koinonia, koinonia, somewhat technical term that means to share in common with. It's the first use in the New Testament here. It doesn't show up in the Gospels. It shows up after the Gospels, koinonia. And those of you that know that the language of the day was koine Greek, common Greek, universal Greek, kind of like English is today's common world language. Here, this Greek was koine, it was common. But we see it throughout the New Testament. You know, one of our benedictions, what? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It ends 2 Corinthians. In Philippians, Paul writes of the fellowship, excuse me, the 
partnership in the gospel, the fellowship in the gospel. Uh, He writes later the participation in the spirit, the fellowship in the spirit. And in Philemon verse 6, we read about the sharing of the faith, the fellowship of the faith. Well, what fellowship is not? It's not food only. To be sure, after the service, we're going to be gathering together, eating together, and that is an aspect of fellowship, but it does not exhaust fellowship. What it is, fellowship is something that God works in His church as a direct result of Jesus' death and resurrection and the sending of the Spirit. It is, in a word, the common life of the church And as we look around, we see all kinds of different people, different ages, backgrounds, life situations, struggles, joys, hardships, trials. We have one thing and one thing really only in common, and it all revolves around Jesus. Fellowship here expresses, therefore, what we share in. As reconciliation with God occurs, fellowship is established. The vertical reconciliation has horizontal consequences. Remember as we started out 1 John uh, several months ago, that which we have seen and heard we also proclaim to you so that you too may have what? Fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Well, the question we need to ask now is how are they doing it? How is this devotion being made known? How is it being expressed? Fellowship expresses what we share out together in both giving and receiving. Let's look at verses 44 through 47a, the first part of 47. The answer is woven together in those verses. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All were together. They had all things in common. My spiritual mentor, the pastor that married Michelle and me, he used to say this, if you want to be together, you've got to get together. If you want to be together, you've got to get together. And here they were all together. They had all things in common. Now, it's going to talk about material goods, but it's also the idea they have joys and sorrows and suffering and victory together. And beginning in verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They're giving to those who had need. There's a caring, there's a sharing, there's a generosity. This is not communism. There's no forced collectiveness. This is not even socialism. This is not like everybody's got to give a part. The rich give more to distribute the wealth. It's not socialism. It's not communism. This is Christianity. And these verses don't lay out the law for what the church is to look like in terms of private property because, hey, they're still meeting in private homes. Ananias and Sapphira, they got busted not because um, uh, they wanted to keep some of the proceeds back. They got busted because they lied. Um, Private property is not anti-Christian, but this is a voluntary giving, a sacrificial giving. And it should cause us to stop and ask ourselves, 
You know, back in 1 John 3, it talks about um, loving one another materially. And it should stop us and say, am I demonstrating my love to my brother and my sister tangibly with what the Lord has provided? That's one of the reasons why we have a diaconal fund. Because resources are pulled together to help those in need. And brothers and sisters, we are all at any time going to find ourselves in need. And verses 46 through 47 talk about being together in public worship in the temple, large group worship, as well as in fellowship groups, in homes, or small group worship. And we'll look at that next week. Indeed, the fellowship described here is the communion of saints. Indeed, chapter 26 of our confession of faith is entitled, Of the Communion of Saints. It's a neglected chapter, but a precious chapter nonetheless. The other quote in the something to think about quote section at the end of the order of worship is from the book, The Communion of Saints, Living in Fellowship with the People of God. Now, do you guys have an idealized view of what the fellowship means and sharing life together? James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary, the late pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, relates the story of an old Scottish preacher who said this, quote, To dwell above with the saints in love, I, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints I know. Now that's a different story. <laughs> you know, one day the fellowship is going to be perfected. Until now, until then, we're just working on it. But though it's not, it's, it's not exhaustive, it is real. And it is substantial here and now. Well, we've considered the what. And let's begin now to explore the how. How We've actually seen the what and the how, but why? What's their motivation? Why are they doing it? Why are they devoted to the fellowship? Remember, these are people who just a few weeks ago wanted to see Jesus die. They were happy that Jesus was crucified. And now, it wasn't a sword piercing, a spear piercing Jesus' side. It was a sword of the Spirit piercing their hearts. And they cried out to Peter, what must we do? They've come to faith. They've come to repentance and faith. They are now devoted to the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship. Why? Children, if you're, if you're taking a test and you're asked a question like this, and one of the answers is the Holy Spirit, that's the one to check. Okay? Why are they doing it? Primarily, the Holy Spirit is at work. That's what's going on. The Spirit is working to apply the work of Jesus. The Spirit is convicting, convincing, and assuring people of the truth of their sin and the reality of salvation in Christ. The Spirit is also working to generate and create genuine love for one another. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The nature of God is generous. Therefore, God's people are now learning to be generous 
from God. Well, why else are they devoted to the fellowship? Well, it's not just that the invisible Holy Spirit is at work, but the apostles are teaching and they are learning. The fellowship follows the teaching as thunder follows lightning. You can't have one without the other. The apostles are teaching in the power of the Holy Spirit and the uh, people are learning in the power of the Holy Spirit. And lo and behold, what you have is devotion to the fellowship. And we will see next week, devotion to worship. And we will see the following week, devotion to witness. The people are sharing Christ. They are there because of Him. We are here because of Him. That's what we have in common. Therefore, Christian fellowship, by definition, has Christ-like and Christ-honoring elements. Years ago, when I started seminary in the fall of 2001, in my small Greek language class, or it was about 12 of us in this particular section, and there were three Nigerian pastors who had just come over from Nigeria to study. They were pastors in the Evangelical Church of West Africa, and they wanted to be better equipped to serve their people back in Nigeria and other places in Africa. And I became really good friends with Yakubu. Yakubu is Jacob in his language in Hausa, a tribal language in Nigeria. And interestingly, Yakubu was not born Yakubu. Yakubu was born Muhammad. Yakubu was born Muslim. And yet the Lord rescued him, converted him, made him a new creation in Christ. And an American middle class Navy Reserve officer in seminary was having true Christian fellowship with a former Muslim, black-skinned, African pastor. And let me tell you, it was sweet fellowship. Why? Because we were sharing in common Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you may have great relationships with neighbors, co-workers, friends, family members. No doubt God's common grace does allow for that. But the sweetest, the most intimate the most precious, and indeed the one that never ends, is true Christian fellowship centered upon Jesus Christ. Here you have people believing the gospel that is being taught and living the gospel out. When we learn what Christ has done for us, we serve others out of gratitude to God. The Christian life is more, but it's nothing less than theology applied. And we see that here. What we've seen, the considered the what, the how, and the why, is that all we need to ask? Let's ask just a few more what questions. What is at the heart of the fellowship? What's the title of the sermon? A Loving Community. The essence of fellowship is love. Love is at the center, at the core. It's at the heart. While it's centered upon Christ, and it's because we're sharing in common Christ, nonetheless, at the center is love. And if there's no love as defined and described 
by the scriptures, then there's no fellowship. We may call it a fellowship. It's not fellowship. Somebody may call it a marriage, but it may, it's not a marriage. Fellowship at its core has love. Well, what is the cost of this fellowship? Something of value always comes at a cost. And if you know anything about Christian fellowship, and I trust that we all know something about Christian fellowship, you know it is not easy. It is not automatic. It doesn't just happen. It takes time and effort to flesh out. We know that true Christian fellowship, although created by the Holy Spirit, has to be fleshed out in space and time. And we know that it costs us personally, our time, our personal agenda. Remember Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Part of true fellowship is a collective denying of yourself. We've looked at the heart of fellowship, the cost of fellowship. How about the beauty of this fellowship? Notice not the benefit, but rather the beauty. Fellowship displays the wisdom and the glory of God in making one people out of many. Y'all probably can't see this, but this is a United States coin, currency. It's a quarter, 25 cents. Does anybody know the Latin that shows up on this particular coin? E pluribus unum. Translation, from many, one. Out of many, one. And at the time in 1776, there was actually an illustration, not only of the 13 original colonies, but the six major countries of immigrants. France, Germany, England, Holland, and one other. Out of those many countries, one country. Is that not what is sort of being described in Ephesians, where Jesus talks, or Paul talks about, through Christ, God making one new man, Jew and Gentile? Isn't that not the picture we see in Revelation of people from every tongue and tribe and nationality gathered around the throne one people of God out of many look around right now this is not the high school click club you know this is the church old and young multicolored uh, background different this is the church and God is doing a great thing in making one out of many that's why we talk about glorifying God with one voice one heart it's one Hans Beyer, a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary, says this, quote, The proclamation of the gospel leads to community, and it has this as its fruit as it relates to the entire purpose of God, that he would have a people according to his heart, and that they would, as his people, be joined together. Thus, the very purpose of redemption is a reconciled community that worships the living God. We see this in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And by God's grace, we will see it for all eternity. 
a reconciled community worshiping the living God. And we should start practicing it now. That's what we're doing every Lord's Day, gathering to worship God. A church where the Spirit of God reigns will be a learning community. It will also be a loving community, expressing love to God who we can't see through loving one another who we can see. Christian fellowship begins with faith in Jesus Christ and goes on to love for one another. As Paul would say, it's faith working through love. I've heard it said before, you don't need the church to become a Christian, but you need the church to be a Christian. A Spirit-filled church devotes herself to the fellowship. So does an individual Christian, because a Christian is someone who's received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in this people is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. To whom or to what are you devoted? Who are we as a church here at Grace of Peace? What are we? Who are we devoted to? The fellowship? You know, every few weeks together we say the Apostles' Creed and we say we believe in the communion of saints. It may be our belief, but is it also our practice? One final, absolutely essential question has to be asked and answered. What would motivate us to practice the communion of saints here at Grace and Peace. To engage in life with another. To pay the cost of fellowship. To spend time with one another to help each other grow. Brothers and sisters, this past week was a tough one for Grace and Peace. Some of you know, some of you don't know. Almost everyone was facing a battle. And it was the fellowship of believers coming alongside one another that I believe was the instruments of God's grace and power. It was a hard week, but it was a glorious week. What would motivate us to take time out of our busy lives to come alongside one another? What could it be? Brothers and sisters, our motivation is found in the gospel For you see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lost fellowship for a time so that you and I could find fellowship with God and with one another for all eternity. The perfect union and communion of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was ripped apart For a time. So that you and I could be reunited to God. And united to one another. In one family. As brothers and sisters in Christ. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The enormous cost. Of our life together. Of our fellowship with one another. The enormous cost cost of that has been paid.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, help us to know and rejoice that blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. From sorrow, toil, and pain, and sin, we shall be free. And perfect love and friendship reign through all eternity. Oh, Father, make it happen. Make it happen in us and through us. For your glory and for the good of your people. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we are God's people. What?